Hi guys, welcome to episode six. Uh, episode six, we're going to cover what's the trouble with testosterone. Um, and so, obviously going to relate this to men's health. Um, and it's definitely a topic that's really coming into the fore, you know, especially in, in countries like Australia. And so let's like outline the problem here. And let's look at aspects that are really highlighted in the media. You actually look at one of the number one causes of um, death for men aged between you know, 35 to 45, 50, and it's male suicide. And so a lot of the aspects that we're looking at when it comes to male suicide is that men need to talk about their emotions more. And I'm 100%, I'm, I'm not disputing this. This is, a, this, this is definitely an important aspect that men need to investigate further. But it is only one solution to this problem. Um, and there's, there's other aspects that we're just not looking at at all. And this is, this is where a lot of the problems for me exist. Okay, we've got to look at the things that really define what makes us men. Okay? Um, and if we think that we're going to solve this problem just by looking at one solution, this is, this is, this is an issue. Uh, because I don't believe in a monotherapy. I don't believe that you're just going to, you're going to have the magic pill or the silver bullet and you're going to fix this problem just by men opening up and talking about their problems. It, it definitely helps. It's part of the solution, but it's not the only solution. So we, if we look at issues, um, and, and what I want to bring up first is just looking at like testosterone levels in men. So I'm lucky enough, look at blood markers on a frequent basis, and if we look at the, the medical ranges, and we've got to remember that medical ranges are based on you know, the people who are mainly getting their bloods checked, which one group of people is the elderly uh, another group of people is the sick, okay? And so if these are the two high majority of the population that, they, that are getting their bloods checked on a frequent basis, this is going to pose a problem when it comes to optimal levels, okay? And so if you look at the medical ranges for free testosterone, so we've got serum total testosterone. Uh, there can be other markers that can also give us a depiction of what might be going on with our testosterone levels, you know, uh, potentially things like albumin, which is a protein molecule that essentially binds to testosterone. Um, so albumin is just a transporter molecule. Um, so there's, there's definitely other um, markers that we can use to correlate, but I'm just going to use these three key markers to illustrate what potentially can be going on with our, our testosterone levels. But our serum total testosterone, so that's the total testosterone we have in the, in the bloodstream, but this includes, includes bound testosterone. Okay? And so this would include the testosterone that is bound to a particular glycoprotein. A glycoprotein is a polypeptide molecule, amino acids, okay, and a carbohydrate molecule. And the role of these, and that forms this glycoprotein, and the role of this, this glycoprotein is just a transporter molecule. So if you look at in the instance, because you've got a glycoprotein called intrinsic factor, basically it binds to B12, helps to transport the B12 down into the small intestine, so it, it gets uptaken in the cells in the small intestine. Okay? And so in this instance, uh, SHBG, which is sex hormone binding globulin, okay, is a glycoprotein that basically helps to bind to excess amounts of hormones okay, to actually help 
to clear the excess amounts of hormones out of the system. Okay? And it's really important for people to understand that when it comes to when your body is producing more hormones and so forth, like your hormones don't just evaporate. It's not like a magic trick. They don't just evaporate into thin air. Okay? Like your body has to clear excess amounts of hormones out of the system to enable to, to regulate balance with your hormones. Okay? Not going to go too, too far down this path, but it's really, really important to understand that there's constantly conversion processes taking place, okay, so that you can clear excess amounts of hormones out of the system, okay, and the, this, this particular glycoprotein will help to bind to excess amounts of hormones so that we can actually help to reg, regulate the hormonal balance within the system, okay, and so, uh, so that's essentially what SHPG does. And then you've got your free testosterone. And your free testosterone is what you have available in the bloodstream. Okay? Um, and so this essentially is the, the testosterone you, ha- you have available to act upon target cells. And essentially the hormone penetrates through the, 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 the cell membrane and then basically performs the chemical reaction. Okay? So we just need to understand when we're looking at like blood markers that medical ranges are based on averages and so the medical ranges uh, can be from like 200 to 700 when it comes to free testosterone okay now there's there's definitely evidence to show that for free testosterone and if we trace it back many years that the free testosterone levels for men you know especially when we're in our prime um, because androgen hormones so like DHEA androstenedione, androstenedol, um, you know, testosterone, that these do start to decline at the age of 29, okay? Now, when when I say decline, it doesn't mean they should fall off the edge of a cliff, okay? And for a lot of people, because of some of the factors that I'm going to bring up in this podcast, it's sort of falling off the edge of a cliff. And when it falls off the edge of the cliff, you're going to get a lot of issues associated with having low testosterone levels, which I'm going to get into in a minute, okay? Because a lot of the time our brain goes to when we've got low testosterone that this is just going to affect things like your bone density, your muscle mass. Uh, So we we tend to focus on these sort of like superficial or, you know, if you looked up Wikipedia, the the benefits that you may get when you look up Wikipedia and these type of references, okay? But a lot of the time we're not looking at the more significant processes that a hormone like testosterone is heavily involved in okay and obviously i'm really referring to to men's health here but you know testosterone is extremely important for women we sort of neglect that fact as well and you look at women they predominantly produce all their testosterone in their in in their adrenal glands so essentially in their adrenal cortex yeah okay and so that's why when they're so heavily impacted by you know overproduction of catecholamines and you know, overproduction of cortisol, that this can also have a huge negative effect on testosterone. And if I look at women, well, testosterone really helps with their ability to handle stress and it's really protective and actually protects them against particular ailments like breast cancer. But it's a conversation for another time, okay? But when it comes to men, the, the, the aspects that we don't really focus on, yes, testosterone actually helps with our ability to handle stress, but it also is in charge of our emotional state. I'm going to cover this a little bit more because it comes down to that sort of like alpha male and also the misconceptions around actually how testosterone makes men behave. 
okay? Because, um, and I'm going to use some examples. I'm not going to go too heavy down the science realms, but I'm actually going to use some examples when it came to recordings in nature. It's really, really fascinating. And um, I think we need to take note of some of these, um, you know, findings that they've actually um, recorded in, you know, the natural environment, yeah, okay? Um, and that doesn't always mean it's 100% applicable to humans, yeah, okay? But it's interesting to note some of these uh, findings that they, not- they noticed when it actually came to uh, baboon tribes. And I'm going to touch a little bit more on that later, okay? But if it really helps with our emotional state, well, then it's obviously going to protect men from things like depression, anxiety, nervousness, okay? And the problem here is that we're just not even really looking at this. We're just saying that men need to be in touch with their feminine side more. Once again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing this, uh, I, and I definitely think men need to open up more. They need to talk about their emotions and so forth. But why aren't we even looking at what's actually going on with the hormones that actually define us as men? I mean, this is this is this is a huge problem. Yeah, okay. And when I'm actually looking at free testosterone levels for men, and if there's actually evidence to show that back in the day our free testosterone levels in our prime should have been in the realms of like 900 to 1,000. And a lot of the men that I'm dealing with, and I fail to believe that I'm dealing with all the men who've got low free testosterone levels. And, and, and my optimal levels, I'm saying bare minimum is like 400 plus, okay, which I'm still saying is potentially on the low side. Yeah, okay, So no wonder people have to look at medicinal dosaging or HRT for things like testosterone, which I'm not saying I'm essentially anti, but if we really need to correct some of the underlying problems to why the testosterone has, has become an issue in the first place, not getting to a point where we actually have to use HRT and medicinal dosaging of testosterone to try to rectify this problem. Now, if it's got to that point and we really have to use it, once again, I'm not anti it, okay? But the key is to not to get into this position in the first place, okay? And when I'm actually looking at free testosterone levels, even in younger men, the free testosterone levels tend to um, sit between about 200 and 300, okay? And so how do you think this is going to affect our emotional state? Well, not only that, it's obviously going to have a huge negative impact on things like fertility. Now, fertility rates, because most of the time guys, their brain is going to go to when it comes to fertility issues that it goes to the female well, one in three, and this is based on American statistics, so it's not going to be too dissimilar for other Western countries around the world, especially like Australian, European countries, that one in three women have fertility issues. Okay? But actually, there's a high percentage for men. Okay? So it's actually one in two men actually have fertility issues. So this is really, really concerning. Okay? And for me, is just addressing this emotional state and getting men to open up about their feelings, is that really ultimately going to correct this problem? No, you need to look at more fundamental pieces in this issue, okay? And these are some of the things that I'm going to bring up today, okay? So there's three fundamental areas that we really need to address to actually help with the androgen hormones, to actually help with things like DHEA, to help with testosterone, to really start to correct a lot of these underlying uh, mental health issues and fertility issues, okay? And this is the, these are the areas that I'm going to break down, okay? And so one is when it comes to sleep and stress, okay? So 
what I'm really fundamentally talking about here is just like an overproduction of catecholamines, so things like epinephrine, noepinephrine, and obviously an overproduction of uh, stress hormones, so cortisol, but also some of the stress hormones like corticotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus and adrenocorticotropic hormone from the pituitary gland. Okay, it's just like an influx of stress hormone production really causing like major issues when it comes to overburdening the HPA axis. And what I'm talking about here is the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals. Okay? And then the issue when you're, you've got this overproduction of catecholamines, you're definitely going to cause, because your body tries to combat this by producing more anti-stress hormones. I'm going to touch on that a little bit more. But anti-stress compounds, things like serotonin and GABA, which is gamma aminobutyric acid, and if you're overproducing these particular compound, compounds to try and combat the overproduction of the stress hormones, that sort of desensitizes your neurons and so the, the axons and the dendrites and the synapses to the uptake of these particular compounds to actually help to calm and relax the body and um, so that, you know our mental health is better, that dewiring of the brain, we feel happier, uh, calm, not having huge bouts of nervousness, okay? And so it just becomes a vicious cycle, okay? And then if we're overproducing these catecholamines and the stress hormones, it just starts to dysregulate because it's also going to cause blood sugar management dysregulation, which I'm going to cover a little bit, okay? Um, and when it's causing the blood sugar management dysregulation, this is definitely going to affect our circadian rhythms, okay? And so... If we're affecting our circadian rhythms, okay, so just our sleep-wake cycle, then there's evidence to show that when they've done research of men getting, you know, you know, five hours or less of sleep or just having like one bad night's sleep, that it can lower your testosterone levels by up to 29%. And so sleep and stress are a huge detrimental harm to what's actually going on with what essentially defines us as men. And one of the, the big hormone that I'm essentially talking about here is testosterone. Okay, So that's one fundamental issue, which I'm going to get into a little bit uh, further in a minute. But the other one is uh, zinc. Okay, And so when you actually look at zinc, a lot of people are going to say it's like a precursor to testosterone. I mean, really what zinc helps to do is like keep our testosterone levels in check. Okay, and so you actually look at a lot of the chemical reactions that take place in the body, and when we've got excess amounts of testosterone, you've got particular uh, pathways to actually help us to clear excess amounts of hormones out of the body. Okay, and essentially testosterone can get converted into estrogen, and essentially getting converted into estradiol, beta seventeen, and getting converted into forms of estrogen to actually help us to clear the excess amounts, regulate the system. Uh, and, and clear this excess amounts out of the, the body. And so what I'm essentially talking about here is processes like uh, aromatization or aromatase, which is like an enzyme. And, and this is just a completely normal mechanism. Okay? And so what I'm talking about here is aromatization. Well, one, one instance is where the testosterone uh, gets converted into estrogen. Okay? So that's one mechanism. That's one point where aromatase or aromatization takes place and then you've got a particular androgen hormone called androstenedone 
And that's another area where aromatization or aromatase will take place where the androstenedione actually gets converted to uh, um, to estrogen as well. Okay, so the, how zinc really plays a big role in this is zinc actually helps to inhibit aromatization. So that helps to maintain our testosterone levels. Okay, so this is extremely important. And if we actually look at the other realms where testosterone can get converted into other hormones um, and other compounds is the, the whole realms of DHT, which is dihydrotestosterone. Okay, now dihydrotestosterone, which is related, to, uh, has a link to male pattern baldness. It causes enlargening of the prostate. Now, a lot of people's brains are going to go straight to that this is a bad thing, normal. Okay, now there's a particular enzyme that actually helps us convert the testosterone into DHT. Okay, and that's called 5 alpha reductase. Now, the point I'm getting across here is that zinc actually helps to inhibit 5 alpha reductase. So it's actually controlling conversion processes maintaining high amounts of free testosterone within the bloodstream or the bioavailable testosterone that we have in the body. This is really, really important. And so where it gets an issue with something like zinc, which is a micro mineral, it's not one of the major minerals, not one of the big six, but where it becomes an issue with zinc is that there's deficiencies in the soil. This is a big problem. So when, even when we're consuming foods that we actually think high in zinc, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they are high in zinc. That's really, really important. Okay? They should be, but should be, and then the reality are two different scenarios. Okay? And the other big problem is just the, what's going on in the gastrointestinal tract. Okay? So, and we need zinc for so many, like 300 enzymatic processes in the body. Hence why, because it's so important for maintaining our testosterone levels, there's a good justification to say that men are going to need a little bit more zinc than females, okay? Um, and so the, the big thing when it, when, it, when it comes to zinc also is that zinc is quite hard to absorb into the gastrointestinal tract and it's really dependent on your hydrochloric acid levels, okay? So if you're highly stressed, you, you're, you're quite poor at getting oxygen into the mitochondria, then this is going to affect your hydrochloric acid levels, yeah, okay? Because you're dependent on things like bicarbonate, you need chloride, you need vitamin B1, you need vitamin E, and you need zinc. It's sort of like the soup or the formula that you need for hydrochloric acid, okay? And then the hydrochloric acid is, uh, is released from the mucosal lining, the paratel cells in the, in the stomach, and then that, we actually need hydrochloric acid to enable us to absorb zinc. So it's like this vicious cycle, but if we're not getting enough zinc, then that is actually going to affect our hydrochloric acid levels, okay? And that's going to start to affect how we break down macro molecules and macronutrients like protein. This also is probably going to have a negative effect on things like our hormonal production, neurotransmitters, because we need those amino acids because they're the building blocks and the fundamental building blocks that we need for things like brain chemicals and hormones. So you see how this becomes a vicious cycle, okay? Now, also, when you've got issues with the epithelium and the mucosal cells, well, zinc is actually one of the key compounds that you need for things like gut motility. It actually helps with the uh, contractions and helps with things like gut motility, so how you churn food. It actually gives elasticity to collagen or connective tissue. So once again, it just helps with that, the way we churn food and how we break it down. 
once again, that's a pretty important function considering if we're not breaking it down properly, then this can create bacterial issues, but it also can affect the byproducts further down the, 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 the cascade like hormones and brain chemicals again, okay? So you can see where a lot of these issues um, and the other, the other point that I want to get across with zinc is that zinc is a powerful antimicrobial. So the more we've got things like bacterial issues, you know, it's, it's really important to help us to fight off things like yeast and candida, negative gram bacteria is one of the most powerful antimicrobials, okay? But if we're constantly putting a lot of pressure on zinc to actually help us to combat, you know, opportunistic bacteria and these pathogens, that's putting a lot of pressure on our zinc. And then that also puts a lot of pressure on the gastrointestinal lining. And then once again, in turn, it's going to affect things like hydrochloric. And you just can see how this becomes a cascade. So zinc is a big factor. And then a lot of the time people just think just taking like a, a chelated or elemental zinc is going to be enough. Well, really, it just depends on the individual. And there's a good chance if you do have gastrointestinal issues that taking something like, something like a zinc picolinate, which means it's just more bioavailable, gets absorbed a little bit better, but, uh, or an elemental or chelated zinc is going to be enough. But most of the time, you're going to probably need something that's actually bound to something like uh, L-carnosine, which is an amino acid that allows the zinc to stick around longer in the gut. Okay? And in, from my experience with a lot of men, they need actually both, okay? which I'm going to get, get into when I talk more about the remedies. Okay? So zinc is, a, is another big player. Okay? And then the third one is just when it comes to xenoestrogen, xenobiotics. And so what I'm talking about here is just like our exposure to things like plastics, heavy metals, um, you know, food additives, food chemicals. You know, in a, in a statistic that I read like an extreme long time ago, okay, um, they said that there was up to like 45,000 new synthetic chemicals introduced to the environment each year. Okay? The problem is that a lot of these chemicals like herbicides and pesticides, they essentially mimic estrogen. Okay? So they have a negative effect. They actually do increase estrogen in the body. And none of these things are really increasing testosterone. And if you've got a lot of the things that I've already been talking about, then that's putting even more burden on testosterone. And so why do we think that men may be actually walking around with extremely low testosterone levels compared to the, test, the free testosterone levels that we may have had um, you know, years and years and years ago. Okay? Well, of course, these are going to be huge definitive factors. Okay? And a, a big regulator of estrogen is also to do with what's going on with your gut lining. So yes, we can put all the emphasis on the, on the, on the liver and things like cytochrome P450 enzymes and and I, I think we t tend to overemphasize what's going on in the liver. It's don't, and, and don't get me wrong, it's extremely important. It's like the project manager in the body and it's involved in all these conversion processes. And, you know, it, it does the main bulk of the work when it comes to clearance and detoxification. But also when it comes to regulating your estrogen, your gastrointestinal lining is, is imperative for this, okay? Um, and so you look at the two end stages of estrogen clearance well you're looking at glucuronidation you're looking at sulfation and glucuronidation is really dependent on beta-glucuronidase which is an enzyme that is produced by the estrobolum which is a group of bacteria made up of estrochea coli e coli enterococcus um, and 
if you've got issues here, that, that, that can actually affect how you're clearing estrogen out of the system, causing you to have more estrogen throughout the body and this also disrupting other hormones. Yeah, okay? And so sulfation, which is the key pathway that we actually do need, not necessarily glutathionation because glutathionation, which is glutathione, sort of governs it all. But sulfation is the actual pathway that we actually need to clear things like plastics and heavy metals. Now, if you've got sulfur metabolization issues, which is generally linked to things like intestinal permeability, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Now, there's a huge proportion of the population that do have these types of ailments. Um, and that's not taking into account gene mutations like the CBS gene um, and also the SUOX gene, which is sulfur metabolization issues. And that's, this is more specialized, but if, if you've got these sulfur metabolization issues, then that means you're struggling to clear the plastics and the heavy metals. The problem here is this is going to cause even further disruption to hormones like testosterone. Okay. And so these, because we're not really educating people, and the thing that I want to get across is education is empowering. The more we can educate people, the more we can empower them. Empower them the more we can get them to take their own health into their own hands. Okay, that education is empowering. If we keep on treating people like children and spoon feeding them like children, they will continue to act like children. And I have way more respect for people. Okay? Yes, a lot of the things that I that that I might say, not everyone's going to understand, but I think they're going to understand the impact of it and it's going to put more importance on why they need to actually take action. I really want to get that across, yeah, okay? So these three areas I'm going to go into just a little bit more and actually get some remedies behind them. I'm not going to necessarily go push further into that, into the biochem- biochemical realms and, um, and, and the science behind it, yeah, okay? But the first one I want to touch on is, is just when it comes down to like HPA dysfunction, okay? And so when I talk about HPA dysfunction, I'm just talking about the overburdening of the HPA access because... Once again, it is like the, the, the priority access. And why would it be a priority access? Well, it just comes down to the body is always going to prioritize death. Okay? And three fundamental uh, processes or, or systems that are going to be prioritized in moment in time, it doesn't mean they're more important than other functions, is going to be stress response because the end result could be death. Okay? Blood sugar management because... You need to elevate your blood glucose. You need to provide glucose for the cells in your muscles so you can either fight whatever might be chasing you um, or, or run away from whatever might be chasing you, okay? So you need to have energy to do this, okay? And so hence why, like blood sugar management, and if you're not regulating your blood glucose, you can essentially slip into a coma and die, okay? So once again, the body's going to prioritize this and it's going to prioritize antibody response, which is essentially talking about bacteria attacking your cells. That's going to lead to things like, and there's a little bit of a slower process, but it's going to lead to damage to your cells, your mitochondria, and, and actually lead to disease and illness. Okay, And so once again, I'm not saying that these are the most important functions in the body, but perception in moment and time by the body is that they need to be prioritized, which means it is going to come at a cost to other functions in the body that are important but essentially maybe not imperative in that moment in time like brain function, like your hormones, yeah, okay? like your, uh, your, your, your connective tissue. So like 
smooth muscle, like the gut lining, yeah, okay? Um, you know, joints and tendons and ligaments, yeah, okay? So it's really important to understand that this is, if you've got a lot of this sort of stress response and overburdening of the HPA access, it is going to be essentially prioritized, okay? In that moment in time, I really just want to get that point across, okay? So if we actually look at it when it comes to the production of uh, testosterone, well, this follows the, the, the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary gland and then obviously releasing the testosterone from the gonads or the testes into the bloodstream. Okay, now if I just talk about that process, okay, um, and before I do that, just talking about that HPA dysfunction or overburdening the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary gland and the adrenal adrenal medulla, adrenal cortex, is that there's generally four things that really overburden that. And one is inflammation, and a big contributor to that is bacterial byproducts. Okay, The other one is perceived stress. So once again, I'm just talking about social conditioning, your environment, um, psychological stress, emotional trauma, childhood trauma, all these things. Perceived stress is generally the, the hardest one to fully rectify. Um, your circadian rhythms, which I was talking about with your with your sleep wake cycle, um, and then blood sugar management. Okay, so if you've got a lot of these four things going on, then that's overburdening that HPA axis. And once again, it's just going to come at a cost to other axes, like the HPT, which is the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the thyroid. The 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 HPTAG axis, which is relevant to the men because that's the hypothalamus, the pituitary the um, thyroid, the, the adrenals, and the gonads, okay? So, and you've got all these other accesses that potentially this is going to uh, offset as well, and it's going to affect other key accesses like your, your gut to um, liver access, your gut to kidney access, so many accesses that are just vital for how we function day to day, okay? So the thing is, if we actually um, look at the production of testosterone from the, the the testes then this starts in the hypothalamus and in the hypothalamus we produce gonadotropin releasing hormone it's like a messenger hormone okay and it basically sends a message to the anterior pituitary gland to release two hormones okay and so first hormone that i want to focus on is luteinizing hormone it's interesting when you start talking about things like luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone because immediately people's brain goes to females and the importance of these hormones when it comes to, um, you know, uh, childbirth and, and, and all those realms. And I don't, like, once again, and, and follicle development in the ovaries, and I don't really want to go into those aspects, but it, these are incredibly important for men when it comes to fertility, okay? And that's why HPA dysfunction and high amounts of stress are just so detrimental to guys' testosterone levels, but also their fertility, Okay, um, and so once that messenger has actually uh, the the gonadotropin releasing hormone sends a message to the anterior pituitary gland, you release luteinizing hormone, and luteinizing hormone actually uh, stimulates the Leydig cells in the testes, and then the Leydig cells in the testes actually help with the release of testosterone into the bloodstream. Okay. Now, when it comes to FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, because once again, just don't, people's brain doesn't go to the fact of how important that might actually be for men, but it's incredibly important for men. Okay? But when you're producing the right amounts of uh, FSH, 
Well, that actually activates Sertoli cells. And Sertoli cells is all to do with what they call uh, spermatogenesis. And spermatogenesis, okay, actually helps with sperm. So it actually helps with your sperm quality and your sperm count, okay? And so this is incredibly important when it obviously comes to the the, the aspects of the free testosterone you have available in the bloodstream and then the quality of your sperm and your fertility, okay? Um, and so if you look at that process, okay, of hypothalamus, anterior pituitary gland, and then basically stimulating the gonads to actually help with sperm and testosterone. Now, if I've got an overburdening of that access, okay, well, of course you can get negative feedback loops, okay, and when you get negative feedback loops when it comes to an overproduction of catecholamines and stress hormones, that also can downregulate um, other hormones in the process and downregulate other accesses. So you can, if you've got a negative feedback loop where you're producing too many stress hormones, you can negatively affect, of course, the release of things like testosterone from the testes because you've actually downregulated or sort of artificially downregulated other accesses in the body. You actually do have negative feedback loops to when you're producing um, too much testosterone. There's negative feedback loops. We're just producing too much testosterone here. Hence why when people are toying around with you know, uh, testosterone, injecting testosterone, well, yeah, obviously the body is not stupid and it understands that there's a higher amount of testosterone in the bloodstream and it basically sends a negative feedback loop to the brain to say, well, we don't need to keep on uh, producing higher amounts of luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone and let's downregulate that because we actually got enough testosterone in the bloodstream so you can have a negative impact on areas like the the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary gland causing a lowering of things like luteinizing hormone and fsh okay so once again i'm just like we, we just need to understand that, that all these different types of reactions that can actually take place when the body is responding to chronic amounts of stress and if that stress is ongoing and it's and and it's never relenting then you can see how this can have such a negative effect on our ability to ability for for fertility and reproduction obviously things that control in the instance of men our emotional state our mood our behavior and our ability to handle stress i mean it's just so so important yeah okay so we really want to look at uh, aspects of really taking away from this burdening of the HPA axis and this is going to come down to a lot of stress management techniques and this is going to come down to things like meditation. So I'm talking about some remedies here to, to actually help with this H, HPA dysfunction and actually help with this whole thing of the release of testosterone from the testes um, and also helping with sperm quality as well okay, and helping with fertility. So things like my, my preference is things like metacognition, now, obviously, you can look at people like Guy Lawrence uh, within Australia and Dr. Joe Dispenza. And metacognition generally is my preference, but you could start off basic when it comes to meditation um, because it gets you looking at like social conditioning. It gets you looking at your limiting beliefs. It is going to get you to, to address your emotional state and, and potentially what all also might come up is uh, childhood trauma and we, like for us to move forward we really need to address this and obviously that's a that's a podcast for another time yeah okay so 
And that can be as simple as just like 10 minutes every morning. The reason I like people to do metacognition is the morning, in the morning is because it's really uh, great because it in, actually inhibits particular enzymes because you produce a lot of gamma waves. And when you produce a lot of gamma waves, it inhibits a particular enzyme. Once again, it doesn't mean this enzyme is bad. An enzyme, this enzyme is really important, MAO, which is monoamine uh, oxidase. And monoamine oxidase can in some instances... Um, inhibit the release of things like melatonin, uh, DMT, dimethyltryptamine from the pineal gland. Now, if I can actually help with the higher release of things like melatonin from the pineal gland, DMT, that actually helps me tap into my subconscious a little bit, uh, a lot more, okay? And also the aspect is you help with the release of melatonin and you start to regulate your circadian rhythms. Well, once again, that's really, really important for helping to regulate testosterone and what defines us as men, okay? Now, anything that helps to control the, the autonomic nervous system. So once again, I'm just talking about the balance between our sympathetic nervous system and our parasympathetic nervous system states. We should be sitting more in the parasympathetic nervous system state, which is rest and digest. Well, things that actually really help with that is things like oxidation, the long-term system. Um, so steady state, going for walks in nature, aerobic training now once again not getting into the glycolytic realms like we're really pushing uh, lactic acid and the lactate system okay yes there's some benefits there when it when you when you produce lactic acid it actually sends a message to the uh, anterior pituitary gland to help with the release of growth hormones so it does actually help with anabolic hormones i'm not going to go further down that realms okay so there's benefits there but also, oxidation just helps to regulate our heart rate variability, which is the time fragment between uh, beat to beat, which helps to regulate the autonomic nervous system. Okay, So a little bit of oxidation, yeah, active recovery after you do some glycolytic training to help with the clear of lactic acid. So you get the benefit of the lactic acid during the workout, but they clear the lactic acid straight out after you train, which a lot of people just do not do enough of. Okay. And another one is just diaphragmatic breathing, okay? Now, what's the benefit of doing the diaphragmatic breathing? Something like a Wim Hof or a forced, um, which, which is just a forced hyperventilation or like a box breathing is that you're getting more oxygen to the mitochondria and then you get more byproducts like carbon dioxide. If I get more carbon dioxide, the carbon dioxide mixes with water in the body and this actually helps with bicarbonate and bicarbonate is one of the key compounds that I actually need for hydrochloric acid this in turn is going to help with zinc. So you can see how this all links in, yeah, okay? But there's also the, the regulation of the, um, of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nerves, nervous system, the autonomic nervous system state, okay? So, and other things that will, will really help in this instance, yeah, okay, is, is any type of stress management techniques, okay? So um, practicing things like grateful log, okay? But also doing things like heart math that actually... Is all to do with controlling the, the heart-to-brain access. So doing it at night, before you go to sleep, close your eyes down, hand on your heart, right hand, and then left hand over the top of the right hand and focus on the emotions that govern the heart-to-brain access to put yourself into a better state, to directly help with these hormones that basically define our emotional state. Yeah, okay, So that would be gratitude, care, compassion, appreciation. Okay? So these stress management techniques are really key. And you can also um, focus on some of the anti-stress compounds, okay, anti-stress hormones, 
And I'm not going to get further down this rabbit hole, but things like vasopressin, um, acetylcholine, prolactin, oxytocin, so getting in more of a community environment. Alcohol consumption would be a big thing because it's so, so detrimental against vasopressin, which actually helps with like you know, mental clarity, your ability to um, retain information. You, you. So, I mean... You know, I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds with these things. Like prolactin, you know, helps with your ability to balance electrolyte balance in the brain. Um, you know, calcium, chloride, and, um, and sodium. Yeah, okay. So, the, like doing these types of things is really going to help with those anti-stress hormones, anti-stress compounds. And acetylcholine really actually helps to um, uh, basically govern the vagus nerve so it actually helps with the parasympathetic uh, nervous system once again rest and digest okay so yeah so once again these stress management techniques really really important now there is certain herbal uh, remedies and there's certain things that we can use to actually help with things like luteinizing hormone um I'm going to touch on them uh, briefly, and but a lot of the time it really depends what I'm seeing in, um, you know, things like blood markers. But one is like astragalus. Now, the the research that would confirm that astragalus is is really good for boosting up testosterone. Well, it's, there's a lot of things that potentially are better for directly boosting up testosterone. But if I actually had a male and there was like immunosuppression taking place, so low white blood cell count, low neutrophils, low lymphocytes, low eosinophils, so just pure immunosuppression. Um, well, astragalus is really good as an immunostimulant, so it's really good for raising up like the white blood cells. Um, and so if it's really like picking up the immune system, it's also going to have some knock-on effect to you know, things like dopamine and testosterone. So... And astragalus does actually have some minor benefits when it does come to tes- increasing testosterone, helping with things like luteinizing hormone. Okay, the other one is ash- ashwagandha. Okay, and ashwagandha is actually, you know, proven to actually have um, huge benefits when it actually comes to increasing uh, luteinizing hormone. So there are some herbal things that we can use to directly now. What would be some signs of, um, you know, someone who's potentially got a downregulation of luteinizing hormone? Okay, obviously some issues with follicle stimulating hormone, where these types of herbal remedies and the the stress management techniques are going to be more beneficial in that instance. Well, you're potentially going to see, as I said, like um, people who've got uh, really low serum total testosterone, so. Anything under 20 in this instance, you, you, you definitely want to probably be seeing it like 20 plus, up in the high 30s, yeah, okay? Um, and their free testosterone is also low, okay? And in this instance, you might see that their SHBG is when the normal ranges, maybe it's just a tiny bit high because potentially the SHBG is just trying to find the, the hormones, okay? And that's why your body is producing more of that glycoprotein because there's not sufficient amounts of those hormones being produced, Okay? Now, also, you, you potentially might see that you, you, you know, because one of the key building blocks that you need for your steroidal hormones is is cholesterol. So you might actually see, see things like your your total cholesterol and your LDL cholesterol and your HDL cholesterol all on the low side. Okay, so, um, and then with that, 
would see some pressure being put on the anterior pituitary gland. So this might be a down regulation in TSH. Now, optimal levels for TSH are 1.4 to 2. It's quite a smaller bracket than they use, like 0.5 to 5 or 5.5 in the medical realms. So anything sitting under like 1 definitely showing me that there's an overburdening of the of the of the HPA axis and then I can also correlate that with a lowering in the the immune markers like the total white blood cell count, the neutrophils and the lymphocytes. And you take this all into consideration and there's definitely signs of HPA dysfunction, highly stressed male, okay, and he's going to benefit from these stress management techniques and then potentially uh, something like ashwagandha or astragalus to, to, to try and help with things like luteinizing hormone, but also at the same time, um, because they've, you know, astragalus has got like adaptogen, like an adrenal tonic effect, so it actually helps to stimulate the immune system, okay? So it's also going to help from that aspect as well, okay? So that's to do with uh, when there's like uh, overburdening of uh, the HPA access and HPA dysfunction. And the other area that I talked about was when it comes to zinc, okay? And so I've already talked about the fact that zinc is a high deficiency in soil. There's huge complications here when it comes to the gastrointestinal tract, especially when it comes to like you've got an overgrowth of negative gram bacteria, things like CFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, SIBO would be a potential problem because that generally relates to a high proportion of negative gram bacteria, but that really does depend on from individual to individual. Um, so, and when you've got those hydrochloric acid issues, which is impacting your ability to absorb zinc, okay, and then once again, if you've got those issues absorbing zinc, okay, then that's going to affect your um, ability to produce hydrochloric acid. So it's just like this vicious cycle, yeah, okay. And as I said, like zinc plays a key role in inhibiting um, things like aromatization. So like what I talked about, androstenedione getting converted into estrogen. That's one aromatization pathway. And the other one is testosterone getting converted into estradiol beta-17. That's another aromatization pathway. Zinc's really, really important with that. There are other things that actually, and I think we just get really caught up in, you know, like things like estrogen blockers. And I, I don't even want to touch on that. And then specialize aromatization supplements and to be honest, you just want to keep it simple, okay? And so in this instance, if you've got someone with a gastrointestinal problem but also lowering of their testosterone levels, then you actually want to cover probably both both bases. And using like something like a zinc alcarnosine that allows the zinc to stick around longer in the gut, really let it help as an antimicrobial but also increase the hydrochloric acid levels. So zinc alcarnosine, you know, I'm not going to talk necessarily about dosages because it really is going to depend from... In, uh, person to person, but also using that with a zinc picolinate, a more bioavailable zinc that gets absorbed better, um, and that um, you know that dosage can really depend from male to male, but anywhere from you know having um, sixty milligrams to one hundred eighty milligrams, and in some instances you need to accompany both the zinc alcarnosine and the zinc picolinate. Um, to actually help to, to boost up the testosterone levels, help with aspects like aromatization. You probably see this in men who've got excessively high estrogen. Um, 
you know, and SHP does bind to, to excess amounts of things like estradiol. It's, it's important to note as well. And so what you might actually see is really compromised detoxification pathways. And so the, the SHPG levels might be really high, and, but in this instance, um, maybe their serum testosterone is high, but then their free testosterone is low. This is telling me that there's compromisation of like poor, poor clearance, poor detoxification, which we can't just blame the liver for because the, the gastrointestinal uh, tract and your microbiome okay, are going to uh, play a big role in that and t- in your ability, you know, especially things like lactobacillus because it's a carrier for estrogen, so it helps to regulate your estrogen levels. Now, it's not just applicable for females, it's also applicable for men. Okay, So this definitely could be, um, you know, a, a complications that guys are having in terms of um, being able to regulate their not just their estrogen levels, but also helping with aspects like testosterone. Now, other things that would help with uh, aromatase or aromatization would be alkalizing agents. Now, you know, things like bicarb soda, it's really good for restoring uh, pH balance in the gastrointestinal tract. Remember, the pH balance in the gut can be different to the pH, because obviously your pH balance in your bloodstream sits at 7.3 and it will regulate it back to 7.3, but the the pH balance in the gut can be very, very different, okay? And there's certain bacteria that really flourish in an acidic state. You know, things like yeast and candida love, love a, a low pH balance in the gastrointestinal tract. So, you know, bicarb soda can have these benefits for actually helping with opportunistic bacteria, secondary infections, okay? But it also does help with the mTOR pathway, which is a really complex metabolic pathway. But what we're talking about here is... Um, you know, mTOR is all to do with like cellular damage, okay? So there can be some uh, benefits here with like bicarb soda for uh, things like the mTOR pathway. Um, and so some um, al- other alkalizing agents would be things like chlorophyll. Now chlor- chlorophyll has a magnesium atom, so it actually helps with the uptake of magnesium. You know, magnesium is really important when it comes to dampening cortisol and, and help helping to... Um, sort of blunten the negative effects of like overproduction of stress hormones, catecholamines, okay? You know, like, so magnesium is, is, is really important in this instance as well. So you get the benefits of the chlorophyll from, yes, from a detoxification perspective, but any of these alkalizing agents, chlorella, okay, any of these alkalizing agents um, also going to help with inhibit aromatization and actually help with the, the testosterone levels, okay? So... But once again, people just got, get quite complex when they're actually looking at things that help with this. And I would just be more focusing on potentially like something like bicarb, quarter of a teaspoon first thing in the morning, empty stomach, quarter of a teaspoon at night, and then potentially you're just doing that for four weeks. Okay, That's going to have some positive effects in just accompanying this with, you know, maybe when you're using an infrared sauna, um, when you're doing some oxidation, um, because when you're doing things like aerobic training, it actually helps with the NRF2 gene, which is all to do with detoxification. So, um, so there's real positive aspects there, and accompanying that with some chlor- chlorophyll or chlorella, and, and, and you're going to see like just a, like a, a multifaceted approach of using these things. Okay. And the other aspect with zinc, okay, is when it comes to a 5-alpha reductase. Now, what I talked about. Um, a lot of guys do have problems with male pattern baldness, okay? Now, 
When you haven't got zinc really keeping in check 5-alpha reductase, then that means you can convert more of the testosterone into DHT, which is dihydrotestosterone. Now, once again, enlarging of the prostate is a good thing. You can enlarge it too much, okay? And that's where it becomes a problem, okay? And this is where guys would experience issues with, like, PSA levels, okay? Once again, I'm not going to go further down that rabbit hole, but... The, the, the point that I want to get across, if, you don't, if you've got poor zinc levels, which is really common, you know, if you look at red cell uh, zinc levels, they should be in the upper tier of 245, 250, um, you know, and even just looking at um, plasma zinc. Now, that's only a reflection of about 0.5% of the zinc in the, in the body, so you, you can't take it as gospel, but, you know, that should be in the realms of like 19, upper tier, and a lot of people are just sitting like, you know, in the low sort of 170s 180s and then for the plasma zinc or serum okay they're sitting in you know i've seen as low as eight and nine and this is a huge problem okay and so of course this is going to have negative effects on the ability to um, inhibit and keep in control particular enzymes like 5-alpha reductase which means the male in this instance just ends up converting more of the testosterone into dihydrotestosterone, causing the enlarging of the prostate. But once again, the prostate just actually helps with sperm. You know, this is a good thing, but in this instance, now it's a problem. Yeah, okay. So, and increasing or, 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 or rapidly increasing male pattern baldness in this instance. You know, that's like, like a lot of guys ask me, well, what's some of the best things I can do? Well, zinc, like actually looking after your gastrointestinal lining and looking after your zinc levels, ultimately is one of the best things you can do. Now, people get stuck in the weeds a little bit and they look at things like cell palmetto. It's really popular. And, and the research is a, bit like, it's a little bit like 50-50, okay? Um, you know, EGCGs, which is powerful polyphenols and antioxidants in uh, green tea. Now, actually exactly what i'm drinking at the moment yeah okay you know and apart from all the other benefits you get like l-theanine um you know the l-theanine help helps to mitigate the caffeine release so there's no negative uh, impact on the hpa access in this instance but those powerful antioxidants and you know they're great for inhibiting 5-alpha reductase yeah okay like for me green tea but you just don't want to consume it around high iron uh high iron based uh, meals so that would be obviously animal proteins you know organ meats which i'm really big on and strongly advocate you know organ meats and so forth to help with things like testosterone okay um so yeah consuming the the green tea around high iron meals actually really negatively affects the the powerful antioxidants and the polyphenols okay so you want to make sure that you're drinking the green tea away from meals especially high iron meals okay to get the the benefits benefits of the egcgs and actually help with the the five alpha reductase okay it was really really important to take note of that okay and in the realms of how much green tea could you potentially drink i really prefer something like a, uh, a gum powder green okay a quite a strong green tea but you know, sometimes it, it just comes down to what benefits you're trying to get from the green tea, okay? But in the realms, you can have up to three three cups plus. Most of the time, I'm drinking up to three cups a day, but I tend to cycle it as well. I go through periods where I don't actually have a lot of green tea, okay? And then I go through periods where I actually have quite a, quite a large amount. Once again, it just really is based on um, where my levels would be um, and what's going on 
for me in those current circumstances whether I need a little bit more support with the green tea, okay? Um, so there's aspects like um, incorporating a little bit more green tea. The other one that I find really interesting when it comes to um, uh, 5-alpha reductase and inhibiting that is actually reishi, so medicinal mushrooms. Now, reishi is actually heavily researched when it comes to inhibiting 5-alpha reductase and research is very, very supportive of that, okay? So what's the added, uh, added benefit that I actually get from reishi? Well, reishi is actually really good for actually helping to have a positive impact on white blood cells and actually stimulating the immune system. So it actually helps with white blood cell count, neutrophils. Now, if it's helping with that, it's also helping with our ability to uh, keep in check microorganisms and pathogens and opportunistic bacteria. So I'm getting the, the double benefit here, okay? Um, so... Yeah, potentially using something like reishi. I'm really big on like an immune booster where you're having something like uh, bone broth instead of having a coffee, dump the coffee and have an immune booster where you're having bone broth, um, you know, that's getting all the, the stuff that actually helps with the, the type 1 collagen and the, the connective tissue and the gut lining. Um, then black pepper, uh, Celtic sea salt. Uh, and then actually getting reishi and shiitake and actually having that as your, your, your morning immune booster. Okay, so once again, yeah, okay, it doesn't need to be uh, that complicated. Okay, and then when it comes to um, things like xenoestrogens and uh, xenobiotics and really actually helping with that, there's, I actually want to look at some, some other aspects here, okay? And so really what I want to look at is like cleaning up like detoxification pathways. So ultimately, what, what do I want to do? I want to really clean up what's going on in the gastrointestinal lining, okay? But at the same time, I also want to clean up what's going on in the, in the liver, okay? Because, and I'm not going to use specialized liver detoxification, you know, um, herbs and so forth. Like We're just going to look at some things that could really be impacting your ability to deal with a lot of these xenoestrogens and xenobiotics, okay? Well, one of the fundamental things when it comes to testosterone and actually helping with testosterone is cholesterol, okay? And I'm going to get to another fundamental micronutrient that I'm, I'm big on, that, that guys could use to their advantage to actually help to, to really um, improve their testosterone levels, and that's uh, panathenic acid or pantothene. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay, but to, one, one thing that puts a huge burden on the, the, the liver is actually your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Now, it has the tendency that we, you know, because we probably eat out more than we ever have before and we're getting exposed to a huge amount of omega-6s. And it's not that omega-6s are bad. They've actually got a lot of benefits in the body, okay? So, but I, wanna, I don't want to get into that sort of debate, but we consume a lot of linoleic acid, which is in things like safflower oil, cottonseed oil, because these, these, these types of oils are just cheaper. I mean, they're not, in, in cafes, they're not going to use, you know, things like coconut oil and avocado oil. I mean, they're just, they're just more costly, okay? So if you're eating out on a frequent basis, you're just getting more exposed to linoleic acid. Unfortunately, that depletes vitamin E. And if it's depleting vitamin E, okay, that essentially associated with gut dysbiosis, okay? And that means it's also going to have a negative effect on hydrochloric acid. And in turn, it's going to have this negative effect on zinc, you just see, once again, it's just about cascade effect in the body, okay? And the other one is arachidonic acid. And arachidonic acid, once again, we're getting from these, you know, uh, vegetable-based oils and, 
and and so forth. And once again, a key culprit behind that is that they're just cheaper and most cafes are going to use them so they've got better profit margins. And that's just a reality, yeah, okay? Um, and if you're having more arachidonic acid and you're not essentially getting enough things like vitamin A um, to actually help to reduce the inflammation being caused by the arachidonic acid, okay? Um, and that's just one example, and, you, and you're definitely not getting more omega-3s to actually help with this, then the arachidonic acid can cause some huge issues when it comes to DAO, which is diamine oxidase, okay? And so diamine oxidase is a particular enzyme that helps to um, mitigate histamine activity in the, in the gastrointestinal tract, just histamine activity in the body. Now, you actually look at it, histamine can have some real negative impacts on fertility and you know, if you've got really, really high histamine, that it can actually um, cause things like premature ejaculation. Yeah, okay. And when you've definitely got like, like things like low histamine and histamine intolerance, well, that means you're going to also have like low cortisol. And where do you think things like your testosterone? You're going to be testosterone levels are going to be sitting. They're going to be like flatline. Yeah, okay. So really looking after that omega three to omega six ratio. Um, has a huge cascade effect on the body because, you know, if you look at in, a, in Australia, that omega-3 to omega-6 ratio might be in the realms of about 1 to 26. In America, it's 1 to 40, okay? In nature, we more likely would have had closer to a 1 to 1. The reality in a Western society, probably the best we can get it is to about a 1 to 3, okay? Now, anything over a 1 to 5 is essentially, it's going to cause things like systemic inflammation in the liver, now, what's the consequence here? Anything that's really disrupting the function of the liver um, and causing inflammation there, and, and, and it's going to have a cascade effect to things that are synthesized in the liver. Now, what I want to focus on here is what's synthesized in the liver that essentially gives us the building block for uh, testosterone. It's cholesterol. 70% of the, the, the cholesterol found in the body is synthesized in the liver. Okay. Now, if if I've got issues in the liver, it, does that is that potentially going to affect my ability to synth- synthesize sufficient amounts of cholesterol to actually help with the building blocks of things like testosterone? So, how about a simple remedy is to to, to balance out your omega three to your omega six ratio? And a, a simple thing that you can apply is like cod liver oil because the cod liver oil you get the vitamin A. So yes, the the DHA, which are the types of omega threes, the DHA and the EPA about 4% lower for both DHA and EPA in cod liver oil, but I get the vitamin A, and the vitamin A actually helps with um, an omega-6 arachidonic acid, which has this negative effect on diamine oxidase. Once again, you can see the cascade effect, okay? So getting more omega-3s uh, and, and balancing out that ratio is just going to help with the liver. It's going to help with the synthesis of cholesterol from the liver, in turn helping with uh, you know, steroidal hormones, like testosterone, yeah, okay? The other thing is just like blood sugar management, okay? Because the, the thing is, and I'm going to relate this more to DHEA, okay? But you actually look at the, the, the hormone that you should produce the most from the adrenal cortex because most people are going to say it's cortisol. Well, actually, it's not. It's DHEA, okay? And DHEA is a precursor to 50 other hormones, helps with melatonin, okay? It's like your anti-aging hormone. So the problem with DHEA is that when you're in this in heightened state, you've got like hypercortisolemia, you've got elevated cortisol levels, elevated catecholamines, and then that actually causes dysregul- dysregulation of the blood sugar and you're causing things like hyperinsulinemia, 
um, hyperglycemia. Well, when that's happening, that actually impedes on the enzymes that actually help with the production of DHEA from the zona rectalis. Okay, and then DHEA helps with hormones like androstenedol, androstenedone that actually help with testosterone levels. You can see how once again, me just trying to regulate blood glucose, okay, is important. Is, is so so important here, okay. And one thing that one remedy and one tool that I want to link into this is just ice therapy. Okay, ice therapy is amazing for regulating blood glucose. Now, you know they've used they've tried to use heat therapy and ice therapy, and I I know Ben Greenfield, you know, actually did some testing to see what actually was more beneficial for regulating blood glucose. He actually found ice therapy over heat was far more effective. Well, ice therapy actually helps with the GLUT4 molecule and the GLUT. GLUT4 protein is all to do with glucose homeostasis. Okay, like when you've got leptin resistance and insulin resistance, one of the best tools you can use is ice therapy. Okay, because when you're actually activating more BAT, brown adipose tissue, okay, well, it's higher in mitochondria. And it's actually higher in a particular protein called UPC number one, uncoupling protein, okay, that basically takes um, fats and sugars and converts them into heat for you. So, of course, that's going to have like an amazing positive impact on our regulation of blood glucose and actually helping with our ability to drive glucose into the cell for energy, okay? So, um, so ice therapy can be used in this realms for the regulation of blood glucose, okay? But also, let's just look at ice therapy as a tool to actually help with testosterone. Now, a lot of the research when it came to the benefit of helping with uh, testosterone was done, done on a... Um, the Thrombosis Research Institute, and they actually did that research on uh, cold showers, and I've actually talked about this in a podcast before, okay? And what they actually found is that having a cold shower would increase sperm count by 491%, which means obviously had a positive impact on follicle-stimulating hormone. So the Sertoli cells, and actually that's the knock-on effect, okay? Now, they always say that the research is not conclusive there, but let's just use a little bit of function here. Okay, and the the example that I like to use is that basically what happens to us as men when we get in a cold shower or we get an ice bath. Okay, our balls shrivel and they shrink; they go upwards. Okay, what happens to us when we we're in heat, when we have a hot shower, and there, there are benefits to testosterone through extreme heat from far infrared saunas. You know, setting at about eighty degrees does have a positive heat shock proteins having a positive impact on testosterone levels. Okay, so I'm not disputing that, but let's just look at ice here as in terms of its impact, yeah, okay? Um, but basically, um, when you're in heat, yeah, okay, your balls sag, okay, and, they, um, and, and that, that's basically what happens. They sag, yeah, okay, which means there's evidence to show that they're actually lowering the sperm count, yeah, okay? Now... What happens when men are sexually aroused? Okay, when men are sexually aroused, they're basically the balls go up. Okay, it makes sense because is that going to be increasing testosterone levels? Is it going to be increasing, you know, uh, sperm count? Well, of course, okay, because it's all to do with reproduction and fertility. Okay, so just look at that function alone, and how can we dispute that this is not going to have a benefit to fertility? It's not going to have to a benefit to testosterone levels. Okay. But then we're also getting the benefit 
for the blood sugar management regu- regulation and having this positive impact on DHEA and then DHEA being the precursor to actually help with testosterone. Okay, so once again, these are not comp- doing ice therapy. Okay, it's an easy thing that you can actually put into your regime to have like this positive impact on essentially what makes us men. Okay, testosterone. Okay, um, so and the other aspect is so, so th- this is sort of looking at the the liver. The other aspect is just the gastrointestinal lining. Okay, now I'm not going to go into all the realms of correcting that, but if we want to help with issue imbalance, you're going to have to look at the gut. So you're going to have to look at aspects like beta-glucuronidase, the estrobolum. You're going to have to look at sulfation. So you're going to have to look at things like leaky gut, SIBO. You're going to have to correct that, and you're going to have to look at things like lactobacillus levels to just regulate estrogen in the body. Okay, now when it comes to the epithelium, we really need to look at things that actually help with the epithelium. That could be simple as bone broth, slow-cooked meats, gelatin, collagen. Um, you could use BPC-157's peptide. You know, there's, there's heavy science on that, and I'm not going to dispute that. But anything that alleviates also stress off the epithelium, you know, and that potentially could be things like Boswellia. Um, Boswellia is amazing for helping with the the epithelium in the lungs but the epithelium you know in the lungs essentially it's the same thing it's smooth muscle okay and boswellia actually helps with hle which is human leukocyte elastase which alleviates respiratory distress yeah okay so boswellia curcumin because curcumin helps to alleviate oxidative stress in the in the gi epithelial tissues so these will alleviate a lot of that stress that is causing issues with the epithelium now, why is this really important? Because 30% of our uh, cholesterol requirements come from dietary cholesterol. Now, we just put too much emphasis on that we can synthesize it. So why do we have to worry about dietary cholesterol? It's important. When we at least need about 30%. Now, the problem is if, if I've got any issues with the epithelium, gut motility issues, intestinal permeability, one of the hardest macronutrients to break down is fats. You're going to struggle with like bile, bile salts, okay? And you're going to struggle with mycelizing factors that help you break down oils. But if you're struggling with bile, one of the roles of bile is to actually help to emulsify fats, okay? So you're not going to emulsify the fats properly, which means potentially in your stool, you're going to get uh, high amounts of cholesterol, triglycerides, fat globules found in your stool, which means you're just not absorbing fats properly, which means... Yes, that's even going to affect things like your lymph system, so how you're clearing waste in and out of the cells. It's also going to affect your white blood cells, okay? Um, but it's also going to affect things like um, testosterone, okay? And you could go a step further, okay, because particular types of saturated fat, and in this instance like luric acid, okay, luric acid is exceptionally good for actually helping to to boost up testosterone and luric acid you find in coconut oil and that's why coconut oil is a good thing that you could implement to actually help with testosterone okay so we've got to look after the gut in this instance okay and we've got to look after the liver and the gastrointestinal lining to actually help with our steroidal hormones okay the other aspect that i want to talk about is something that um you might find in people who've got like problems with the Krebs cycle and so what I'm talking about here is poor ATP adenosine triphosphate they've got poor energy systems you know and 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 that might come up in uh, particular blood markers where you know they've got low creatinine levels 
Um, once again, there are immune markers are on the low side. Okay, so you know, just just once again, just like poor energy. Okay, well, uh, a particular and then you might actually see that they you know they've got issues with their uh, total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol. Okay, and a good thing that actually um, from a micronutrient perspective that really helps here is vitamin B5. Panathenic acid, and it's more bioavailable form, it's pantothene. Okay, now, you, you don't necessarily need to start on a high dosage, 250 milligrams, going up to about 500 milligrams. And what's the good thing about pantothene? Now, people are going to read up a lot of stuff, and they're going to see that it actually helps to lower LDL cholesterol. Now, if LDL cholesterol is a precursor to uh, testosterone, is that going to be a negative thing? Well, it actually helps to regulate cholesterol levels it helps to regulate ldl cholesterol regulate your total cholesterol but actually helps to raise hdl cholesterol which is high density lipoprotein it actually has a positive effect on regulation of testosterone levels with this vitamin d so just getting in the sun because vitamin d is just a regulator of testosterone yeah okay once again the the micronutrients that we use do, does not need to be complicated now i'm not saying that we need to do mega dosage of vitamin d in this instance my preference would be to look at something like pantothene the benefit of pantothene is like pantothenic acid is the key compound that you need for acetyl coenzyme a now acetyl coenzyme a it actually helps with the mitochondria so it actually helps with the krebs cycle atp and it actually helps with um cholesterol and ldl cholesterol okay because it's, it's sort of at the top of the, the top of the chain when it comes to steroidal hormones is pantothene panathenic acid acetyl coenzyme a and dietary fats okay so if we can cover that aspect we can have this positive effect on regulating testosterone levels but not only that we will improve energy systems okay so yeah like it doesn't, once again, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be complicated, okay? The other aspect that I want to sort of um, leave you on, okay, because obviously I'll just cover men's health in, a, in another podcast for sure, is just the toxicity when it comes to masculinity, okay? And the, the way to look at it, okay, the way to look at it is that we think that having high testosterone levels is going to correlate with a male being more aggressive, more violent, okay? And I actually want to talk about one of the first books I, I sort of read, which actually I, I read it, one of my, uh, one of my mentors, uh, rest his soul, Charles Poliquin, okay, um, on the recommendation, and I actually thought it was going to be quite a biochemical heavy book, which I would have loved, yeah, okay? But it was actually, there was a spiritual element. It was really talking about the alpha male state. You know, um, some of the people I really uh, respect in the world, it's a guy called Tom Harkin, they call him the man whisperer, okay? And he really talks about when you're um, really going into that masculine state that you, you're sort of setting free of the, the shackles and no longer have you got the sort of um, short hair back in size, like conformity, um, you know, you, you may start to grow a beard, your hair starts to grow longer, where it's basically you're, you're, bra- you're, you're, you're breaking free from the shackles. I think that's a really interesting point. So within the, this book, what's the, the tr- um, what's the trouble with testosterone? Okay, It's got Mighty Mouse on the front. Um, 
they actually really talk about that alpha male state, okay? And actually, the point that I want to get across with this is they actually, um, particular scientists actually followed a, a, a baboon tribe, okay? And they were recording the, 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 the alpha, alpha male and the, the state of the subordinate males in this instance, in this tribe, okay? And the one thing they, he, they, he definitely noticed with the alpha male is that it was always controlled anger, okay? That, it very, that the alpha male very rarely used this anger. And even when the subordinate males were trying to flex their muscle, running around, roughing up the females, roughing up the other males, the alpha male always stayed controlled, calm. And he would only use his aggression when really required. And I think this is really, really important, okay? Because with that control, that actually this helped with the preservation of the testosterone levels, which means... He wasn't in this state of overproduction of catecholamines and stress hormones. And what was interesting, when they recorded the testosterone levels of the subordinate males that were trying to get further up the, uh, the I guess, the hierarchy, is that they were always in this constant fight and flight state. Okay, and with this constant fight and flight state, this aggressive behaviour, roughing up the other baboons and hassling the, the female baboons, that it came at a cost. And that that cost was this huge lowering in the testosterone levels. Okay, they've actually noticed this with, you know, because initially when you do something like, you know, maybe uh, a, like a long run, like a 5K run, and you're really pushing the lactate in that run, that... Initially, you do produce high amounts of anabolic hormones, you know, testosterone, you know, growth hormone. But the longer that run goes for, and then you're, you've been in that fight and flight state, and you're producing more cortisol, and um, the cortisol is really ramping up over the time frame. This might be in the realms of about 20 minutes that you start to see a lowering in these anabolic hormones. So just imagine that baboon in that state where he's constantly having to flex his muscle. It's, it's exhausting, okay? Which comes down to what I'm talking about with this HPA dysfunction. If you're always in this state, it's exhausting. And the cost is that it actually comes at a cost to the hormone that defines us as men. And the hormone that is actually in charge of your emotional state. It's in charge of your ability to handle stress. And it's protective. And when you lower that, then you, 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 it is going to affect your mental frame of mind. You're going to be more prone to depression, anxiety, nervousness. Okay? And you're probably going to make irrational decisions, poor decisions. Okay? And it may be that um, this also correlates with violence. Yeah, okay, so I think that was really, really fascinating research. Okay, because if we can really keep in check the testosterone levels, okay, and really preserve this with men, what's the benefit to society, and what's the the benefit for for that masculinity? Okay, and what's the benefit for men having? more calm demeanors and more control and i think this is only going to be a positive okay and we've got to stop demonizing things like testosterone and thinking that this is actually leading 
to aggressive behavior and violence. And actually, there's way more evidence to show that the drop in testosterone is actually leading to more of that. Okay? Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a point that I really want to get across. And like, yes, we need to, 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 to get men to open up Okay, and that's a great way of addressing that HPA dysfunction. Get them to get off their chest these problems that they've got. Okay, um, so talking about it for sure, but we need to address these other problems as well. And if we don't address these other problems as well, we are thinking that once again the magic pill, the silver bullet, is going to be the answer. And I think we're going to be disappointed with the results. Um, but we start addressing these, these, these points that I've been talking about, okay? We're not using this monotherapy approach. We're using a multifaceted approach and wait and see the huge benefit that's going to come out when it comes to the preservation of testosterone levels and, once again, what defines us as men and watch mental health statistics improve out of sight. Thanks, guys.